Let us go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for being our Lord and our Master, our God, our Savior, our friend, our brother. I don't know that we can really appreciate these things and I'm sure that we don't as much as we ought. We look forward to the day when we shall be with you We shall behold you in righteousness. And even as we read this morning in our flesh, yea, with our eyes, we shall behold you. We don't know all the details of how that will be. And if we could have a better understanding and comprehend more about it, I'm quite certain it would humble us a great deal. And yet at the same time, would bring about much joy and fellowship with you. I confess at least for myself and it may be for others that sometimes when we think about these things it's almost like fables. Too good to be true. Nevertheless, as Paul said on one occasion, I believe God. Thank you for telling us in simple, common language and given to us in the Bible and has been preserved down through the ages. Again, we would pray for others, not only in this nation, but around the globe, that would be worshiping you and honoring you. Pray that you might bring a spirit of revival upon us. Rule over those that rule over us, that we might lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For those of our acquaintance, whether they be friends or relatives, 
or just some that we occasionally meet from time to time, that it has no appearance in their lives that they know you, that you might open their hearts, cause them to bow to you, the sovereign God of heaven and earth, and to fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him by grace and in Him alone. The lake of fire is a horrible place. Nevertheless, Thy will be done. In Christ we pray. Amen. Coming to Galatians chapter 4, we read this morning from verses 1 through 6, uh, we'll read that again. <clears throat> now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differ nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Under tutors and governors. Here Paul discusses the relationship of a child and his tutor, that is, his schoolmaster as it was, his tutor or governor prior to becoming of age in a type of the child of grace with reference to the law and the gospel of Christ. In other words, as this child, before he becomes of manhood and takes on manly responsibilities, he's under the tutor and the governors. He's taught brought up and educated as to how he should conduct himself. Sad to say, we have very few today that have much instruction, not only in school, but even in homes. Uh, uh, Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, if memory serves me correctly, you know, he was, uh, I think at the age of 13, he was in the Caribbeans governing a plantation. People took on adult responsibilities at a younger age 
than we see today. When I was, I think in the sixth grade, I think I've mentioned this before, I was uh, working behind a mule. I put in my own six-tenths of an acre of tobacco by myself and not only worked it with a mule, but did all the hoeing and the worming by hand. We didn't have all the fancy sprays and everything. We, we did have some at that time, but uh, you still had to go through and do all, a lot of handwork in it all. Plowed gardens, and even before I was able to work a mule, I was in the garden hoeing at, at a young age and things of that nature. And <clears throat> being the youngest child, and we didn't, I didn't have any sisters. Uh, before I was outside working, I knew how to clean a house and wash dishes. <laughs> and uh, so I know how to do all those things. I was taught at a young age and uh, very, very disciplined in many ways. Uh, I go in, I've gone places today in houses where it seems like adults didn't know how to clean a house, much less uh, take on much responsibilities. And so this child that was being trained to take on adult responsibilities, Paul is using that here as a type of we Christians prior to our conversion. We were kept shut up under the law. You remember the law was to not only teach us our sinfulness, but it was to bring us to Christ and bring us to the economy of Christ, the New Testament era as well. The law taught us our sinfulness. Children today are not taught their sinfulness. They're, they're allowed to express themselves and do whatever they want to do acting as tyrants in grocery stores and in homes and very, very few uh, children as a whole are disciplined as they ought to be. So it's hard for people to read verses like this and come to any understanding. The Old Testament economy versus that of the New Testament economy is also like this being under tutors and governors until the time that the New Testament should come on its way. And though elected unto salvation to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, according to 1 Peter 1, four. For a time, the even though we were predestinated unto that, we were for a time under tutors and governors. That is, we're under the law. 
in a state of not being born again. And after regeneration, after we are born again, there is often a time of struggling and growing to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, hardly anyone is regenerated and immediately they know everything they ought to know. Even the Apostle Paul, who a man that had been trained at the feet of Gamaliel and was head and shoulders above all of his other companions, Paul far outstripped them as he made the statement, uh, I think it's in the first, uh, first chapter, yes, uh, in verse that he was, how he persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and that he also, he profited in the Jews' religion above many of his equals. That's in Galatians 1.14. Paul not only was at the head of the class, he was advanced in such a way that he was in a class or two ahead of those that were of his same age and so on. And even though he knew all of that about the, the scriptures at that time, he had to spend three years in the Arabian desert to be taught the difference between the Old Testament economy and the New Testament economy. And like I said, after regeneration, often there's a time of struggling and growing to come to the knowledge of the truth. Think about this. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 that when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees he had faith. However, it was later in Genesis 15 some years later that he believed and the seed was imputed to him for righteousness. Now think about this. Just about everybody, when they talk about Abraham, and as the Christian, basically Armenian Christian world, but often many grace believers also, they look to Genesis 15 that's when Abraham believed and got saved. But we know that he already had faith. He had faith in Ur of the Chaldees. There was no law given. 
Law was 430 years after Abraham. You say, and there was no gospel being preached to him. There weren't any gospel preachers in Ur of Chaldee. Ur of Chaldee was a place of worshiping pagan gods. In fact, in Joshua 24, let me turn there quickly. I'll start in verse 14. Joshua said, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. In other words, he's talking about here, the other side of the flood. He's talking about Abraham and them serving other gods on the other side of the river Euphrates. He's not talking about before the flood in the time of Noah. I don't have time to go and prove all of that and hardly any any commentators that I know of of any worth would differ with that. Alright? With your... uh, Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the floods, the flood and in Egypt and served the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, and so on and so forth. But the point that I'm making here in verses 14 and 15, Abraham was a pagan idolater in Ur. He was serving other gods. In fact, one of the gods, there might have been more than one, but there was one of the gods, ironically, guess what its name was? Sin, S-I-N. But anyway, there's a ziggurat in Ur of the Chaldee to the, to the God of Sin. So Abraham was living in Ur of Chaldee, worshiping false gods, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, he had faith. How did he get it? What does... Ephesians 2.8 tell us it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. God gave Abraham, and I believe Sarah as well, faith 
So Abraham was regenerated not at Genesis 15. He was regenerated not in Haran. He was regenerated in Ur the Chaldee. In a pagan environment. And then he goes from Ur up to Haran. You see here on the map. Down here, down below here is Ur. All the way up here is Haran. I want to think it's about 300 miles. You know, he left and God told him to leave. To go to a place that he knew not. So Abraham left and he took the interstate highway. He took the main route out of Ur. Going up the Euphrates River till he got to Haran. And after his father died. Tira in Haran. God told him to leave there and go down into what's called Palestine today. And we know that when he left Haran, you'll see this in Genesis 12, I think it's verse 4, but he was 75 years old then. Abraham was just uh, two years younger than I am. Almost three years younger than I am. But he, he was just, he, he, was just, he was younger than I am when he left Ur. He was 75. So here's a man that had faith. We don't know how many years old it was when he had faith. But from the time of leaving Ur the Chaldee at 75 to the time of Genesis uh, 15 was in the neighborhood of 10 years. We went through that a few uh, few weeks ago in showing that. And so we see that let's see So my point is this. Abraham did some growing. He did some growing. To come to the place of the spiritual status that he was at Genesis 15. He believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, you know, Abraham went to God and said, God, I, I don't have it. You said I'm going to have children. Well, I don't have any children. So what about Eliezer? This slave in my house. Going to let him be my, my inheritor. God said, no, it's not going to be Eliezer. He's going to be one that comes out of your bowels. Abraham believed God and it, the seed, not Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith was not his righteousness. The seed, Christ, 
We saw that in Galatians 3.16 where Paul said, and the seed, he didn't say seeds as of many, but seed of one seed, that's Christ. So we, we don't have time to go back and prove all of that again. And so we see that Abraham had been a man of faith for many years before Genesis 15. Under tutors and governors, if you will. And so likewise, we oftentimes are under tutors and governors and trying to learn and and come to the knowledge of the truth. But Christ being His righteousness, and that, and that being brought to the faith of Abraham, that took place at Genesis 15. Abraham might have been like the man in Matthew, no, in Mark chapter 8, in 24, he was blind and Jesus first went to him and, well, let's just turn to Mark 8, 24. Mark chapter 8. Let's start in verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see trees, excuse me, I see men as trees walking. May have been that's the way we were a long time. That's the way Abraham was for a while. He wasn't able to see clearly. Verse 25, After that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him to look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. So we might liken Abraham from his time of Ur the Chaldee unto Genesis 15, he was kind of looked seeing uh, with cataract eyes. He saw men as trees walking. He saw men moving about, but as far as he was concerned, kind of like a tree going about. Couldn't see clearly. But by the time he got to Genesis 15, then God spoke to him and opened his heart a little more. He was able to see the seed, Christ. You know, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. How much he saw, how much he understood, Scripture doesn't tell us. But he saw enough. You remember the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. He was on his way to Damascus. The Lord met him on the road and blinded him. He was blind for three days. 
He had to be led about by the hand until Ananias came and God opened his eyes through the ministry of Ananias. So, that the heir, he was an heir. We were heirs. This is Galatians 4.1. We were made heirs before the world began. We were made heirs before the world began. And the law was kind of like a, tool, a schoolmaster until Christ should come. And when we were born naturally, we were still an heir, even though we were dead in sin. And in the providence of God, the way that our lives were lived. God in many ways used that and brought us and kept us until the time that He should regenerate us. So you can see there, and when we were an heir, we were still under tutors and governors. But then after we were regenerated is very likely is when we become of age to start acting like what we were predestinated unto even though we didn't know about it until the time that God opened our hearts. I'm kind of throwing two or three things in there together. But basically the interpretation is that the law service was there until Christ should come. But he's liking it to a child under tutors and governors until it comes to of age. And it's likened to us being under the law until God should open our hearts. But he says, until that time, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. In verse 9, he says, But now after that you have known God, or rather known of God, I like that. Notice, but now after the, that you have known God, then Paul, by inspiration, says, well, the only reason you know, knew God is because God knew you first. See, I, I like that putting that in there. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Then in verse 31, he says, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman 
We're not in bondage, but we're free. Chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You see, the law brings us into bondage. We were kept shut up under the law. Under bondage. Under bondage. And also the elements he talks about here, the rudiments, the principles, the elements of the world. That's how we were before God regenerated us. We thought we were free. You know, I remember I couldn't wait till I become old enough to have my driver's license. And I don't think, looking back on it, I know it wasn't wise of my father. I think he was much too kind and uh, not very wise in allowing me to uh, to date and drive the car to town and and run around with some of my friends at the age of 15. But then, then I got my license and I had a little more freedom. Before that, every time I saw a policeman, I kind of drew up, <laughs> even though the policeman didn't know whether I was 15 or not. Uh, sad to say, I did get pulled over one time while I was 15 and uh, through the kindness of the of law official that knew my father uh, I was allowed to not have to pay a fine but there was a freedom after I got my license and so you know Later on, you think, well, I'll be glad when I get old enough that I can leave home. I can do whatever I want to do. Well, you're not free then. You're still enslaved to sin if God hasn't opened your heart. And sad to say, I was much of the time enslaved to sin in my teenage years until God, by His sovereign grace, Open my wretched heart. But even then, after he had opened my heart, I was still somewhat under those tutors and governors because I, there was a lot of the, the world that was still in me. And even at this age now, there's a whole lot of world that's still in me that I wish wasn't. And I believe that's the testimony of every child of grace. We can't get rid of our sinful bodies. I wish we could. But someday we will by the grace of God. And then we will be totally free. But Paul is making the application here until the time that God 
opens our understanding and brings us out into uh, the fullness of uh, of salvation. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, now I'm going to spend some time here for two reasons. One is mainly to show how God in His sovereignty worked down through history until the time that Christ should come on the scene. And I hope secondly that it will help you to understand well no will help you to accept I don't know that you'll understand it. You know, I've heard some of you, and I've said it myself at times, you know, I wish the Lord had opened my heart long before He did, and a lot of my life I hadn't lived the way that I lived it. But God in His sovereignty opened your heart in His fullness of time, not yours. But I want us to look at this fullness of time from a historical perspective. We don't know what's going on in the world. We see a lot of turmoil. turmoil. We see a lot of wars and rumors of wars. A lot of wickedness. But God is on His throne. And this fullness of time is teeming with history that set the stage for the coming of Christ. There are many, many sermons that could be preached upon this. In fact, I did some years ago uh, preached quite a few on Wednesday evening when we were able to meet then. But I want us to look at history by a kindly a rough pencil sketch or a broad outline to see how God set the stage for the New Testament age. Ideally, if we had the time, we would go back to creation. But for our purposes, we will break into history at approximately 3,000 years ago. Solomon died around 979 B.C. In other words, rounded it off around a thousand years before Christ came. That's when Solomon died. 975 B.C. And the twelve tribes of Israel after the death of Solomon divided into ten northern tribes and two tribes southern. Judah and Benjamin 
basically because Simeon was swallowed up in Judah, really. But anyway, there were two tribes. They were called the tribes of Judah. And when you're reading in 1 Kings, after the death of Solomon and Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the two kings, and there was a division, you'll read, talk about the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel, the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. The kings of Israel were the kings over the ten northern tribes. The kings of Judah were the kings over the two southern tribes. And so these these set these tribes divided. Let's go to First Kings chapter twelve. You say, well that's 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 just history. Well it's divine history. And Paul is thinking about all of this. Or we would think we would suppose he was had this in mind. Now, if you want to get the whole story, you would start with 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26, and go through chapter 12 and verse 17. But for time's sake, I'm going to summarize. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 16. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, that is, they didn't listen to, Rehoboam didn't listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine house, thine house David. So Israel departed unto their tents. As for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. So you had two kings, Jeroboam over the northern tribes and Rehoboam over the southern tribes. And so they fought back and forth for a while. And then in 722 B.C., in other words, that was 253 years after the death of Solomon. Almost the age of our nation, isn't it? About 253 years after Solomon died and, and the, uh, the kingdom was divided, the ten northern tribes of Israel were carried away into Assyria. First Kings, excuse me, Second Kings, chapter seventeen. Second Kings, chapter seventeen. First of all, verses five and six. And 
Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. The conflict in Ukraine and Russia hasn't been going on for three years, see? Can you imagine such a war going for three years? We spent so many years in Iran and um, and then in uh, uh, I mean Iraq and then in Afghanistan, but it was nothing like this kind of war. <coughs> Verse six. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halah and in Habor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. In other words, they went all the way over into the, the country of the Medes, which would be what's called today Iran. So the children of Israel, the ten northern tribes, were carried away. They were carried away into Assyria and scattered throughout. And then drop down to verse 26 in the same chapter. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nation which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. So, here's what happened. They took the Jews from the northern tribes and put them off into the, uh, the land of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians took people out of those lands and put them in the land of Israel. And the people in the land of Israel didn't know uh, how to serve God and God sent lions among them. Don't tell me that animals and floods, hurricanes, fires, fires, forest fires and fires that God doesn't have anything to do with them. So 722 B.C., the ten northern tribes are carried away into captivity. The two southern tribes, the tribes of Judah, from the time of uh, about a hundred years, not quite a hundred years, later, it's the time from 606 to 587 B.C. There's about three times that Babylon came into Judah, mainly Jerusalem, and they carried some away in 606. They carried some away in uh, 587, I believe, and then they carried some away in 585. So from 606 to 585, the two southern tribes were carried away. Second Kings twenty four. 
The first four verses is what we're going to read. And this took place in 606 B.C. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim came, uh, became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. In other words, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come and kindly made uh, Judah, put him under taxation. And the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, he, he submitted to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but then after three years, he rebelled against him. So we're not going to pay your taxes anymore. In other words, we, you know, we, we're going to cut ourselves loose from you. And the Lord sent against him, notice, the Lord sent against Jehoiakim. He didn't say the king of Babylon got mad and he was going to do what he was going to do. The reason the king of Babylon did what he did, the Lord sent him. You say, well, how did God do that? Well, I don't know. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, we can't figure all that out any more than could with God hardening Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And look at Romans 9. But anyway, and the Lord sent against him Bands of the Chaldeans, and bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants the prophets. That's going back all the way to Deuteronomy, by the way. But anyway, surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did and for all the innocent blood that he shed for he defiled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. This nation has shed innocent blood by murdering millions of babies. And eventually, God is going to destroy this nation unless He grants it repentance. And you may see a lot more foods that you have been buying on the shelves disappearing. Foods that I have been buying for uh, quite a while, sometimes there, well, some of them not on the shelf anymore. Stores not carrying them. Their own brand. Some of them. Some you're seeing every once in a while. You say, well, how long is that going to go on? I don't know. You say, is God going to destroy us in our lifetime? I don't know. But it will come. The Bible says the nation that forgets God shall be brought down to hell. Chapter 25 of 2 Kings. I'll just read these the first 12 verses 
But this took place starting out in 587 B.C. and going through 585. In other words, about two years. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host, against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about, and the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. From the ninth year to the eleventh year. That's two years. 585, I mean 587 to 585. Verse 3, And on the ninth day of the fourth month the famine prevailed in the city and there was no bread for the people of the land. And the city was broken up and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls. In other words, all your soldiers left, all the military left, maybe all the sheriffs and the police, which is now by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were against the city round about. And the king went the way toward the plain. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the, in the plains of Jericho. And all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon in Riblah. And they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah. Can you imagine that? A man seeing his children killed before his face. The last thing he got to see was his children die. And bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. Verse 8. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the nineteenth year of the king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon under Jerusalem, and he burnt the house of the Lord. Church buildings, in other words, meeting houses. And the king's house. And all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. What armies do today, isn't it not? Destroy buildings, people, God's judgment. And all the army of the Chaldeans, the, the Chaldeans were not good folks. They were wicked folks. He used wicked nations to judge his people at that time. He can do the same today. And all the army of the Chaldeans that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fled away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carry away. But the captain of the guard left the poor of the land to be vine dressers and husbandmen. So you can see how that the ten northern tribes were destroyed. Time has caught us. Lord willing, the next time we come back,
we're going to see how that the the entrance of the Medes and the Persians, the Grecians and the Romans, and how God used all that to set the stage for the coming of Christ. God is setting the stage for the coming of Christ the second time. He's going to come on time. Is that going to be this year? Five years? Ten years? A hundred years? I don't know. But I do know this. Our God reigneth and He's in control. And what we're seeing today is not by accident. It's the God of history. Just as the God of history worked 3,000 years ago, a thousand years before the coming of Christ, And it's been 2,000 years now since Christ came. But it's the same God. The same God. The same God of the Old Testament. The same God of the New Testament. He's the same one today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, It was around 4,000 years after creation. Approximately 1,000 years after the dividing of the nation of Israel that our Lord came. But He came in the fullness of times. And so likewise shall He come the second time without sin, unto salvation, but He's going to come on time. He's not willing that any of His elect should perish, and every child of grace that was chosen and given unto Christ Jesus before the world began will be born physically and born again before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, not one shall perish. When that will be, only you know. Bless us to be faithful until He comes or our departure. In Jesus' name, Amen.